1: Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rota Report podcast in association with the Summer Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav. Back once again, thank you very much to everyone who has stuck with us by this point, I'm on too much, I know, uh, and we're here to talk about the Easter programme which has resulted in sun and picking up four points from a possible six and today I am joined by Phil West, hi Phil. Hi Gav. Hi mate. And also joined by Chris Wynne, hi Chris. Alright Gav,
2: I wouldn't, uh, I, wouldn't say you're yes. on, I wouldn't say you're on too much, could be on more.
1: Well, I, I beat myself up about this don't I, yeah. Yeah. I always think I'm, I'm, I'm talking a bit too much. Uh, for people's liking, but nobody's told us to stop, so well, I will keep turning up.
2: I'll tell you to stop today, if you're watching, though. But...
1: <laughs> um, well, there's not going to be much to waffle about, I don't think. It's not been that eventful, has it, really? Uh, we've played twice, like I said, over Easter. and on Friday managed to just eke out a win and then picked up a point on Monday against Plymouth. Uh, I think what we'll probably do is start from the top because... Uh we we didn't manage to get out the podcast after Friday's game thanks to uh lots of wind outside the Hilton Hotel, I believe. Uh but we yeah, we managed to just win the game against Shrewsbury. We started off like a house on fire fill, uh, then did a very Sunderland thing, which is to come out in the second half and drop the pieces immediately. Yeah. But um another very Sunderland thing which has become a new uh I would I don't know, a new habit of ours. We we managed to get a, a late winner thanks to Nathan Broadhead. Uh, we'll we'll not reflect on Monday's game yet. We'll just take this in isolation. But the the Shrewsbury performance results, were you happy with it in the end? Yep, very much so. Um, classic Sunderland
0: in many ways, as you said, Gav, You know, start off really, really well. Get the two early goals, two fantastic goals as well. By the way, mm-hmm. I think that they gave out Elliot M. Button's goal of the season award a bit prematurely after the goal he scored <laughs> on Friday because it was an absolute stunner. Um, two early goals. Everyone's up and you know enjoying themselves. Stadiums bouncing. Come out in the second half. but we, we we lost control of the game towards the end of the first. You know, we kind of dropped off towards the end of the first half. And then in the second half, we just we just weren't switched on, were we? We weren't sharp. We weren't alert. Shrewsbury should never have come back into that game. You know, don't get me wrong. They were game and they kept trying, but we should never have let them back in. Mm. All of a sudden, it's 2-2. The obligatory X Sunderland player scores against us, doesn't celebrate in the grand tradition. And everyone's thinking, what have we done here? But as you said, Gav, this new habit of ours, we go to the end. We never know when we're beaten. And we eked out another late goal that won us the game. So, you know, there's kind of an elation about winning in that way when Mm -hmm. it gets left late and everyone's on a high afterwards because you've left it right at the very last second. But it would be nice to have a nice, comfortable win every now and then, wouldn't it, just to make our lives that little bit easier?
1: Yes, it would. I did see on the preview pod that I did with Simeon that I felt this could be a banana skin, Chris. It nearly was. Um, Mm. But as we've said repeatedly there, we keep finding a way to win these games when when the chips are down, don't we? So it is it it is pleasing in one respect. I think I've talked about this a little bit online this week where I've said, you know, it, it's good that we have it in us to win these games, but it's also really disappointing that we just can't control and manage a game over 90 minutes to a stage where we don't have to score these goals. I mean, as a fan, it's great when you're in the stadium celebrating that last minute winner, isn't it? But I think ultimately we want to see more complete performances from Sunderland at home.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we, we talked about it last week. We we were talking about the late goals, and um, Nathan Broadhead's made it eight, eight in fifteen goals we've scored, and Alex Neal um, that have come in the ten in, in the last ten minutes. So it's pretty incredible. that kind of over half the goals have come in the, <laughs> the final ten minutes of the game. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with what you lads were saying. It's um, it's. <laughs> It's a shame as well because that opening 20 minutes or so was probably the best football we've played under Alex Neil. We came out the blocks and we came out flying. And actually, I mean, I know you said, Phil, that you know sometimes we start off well, but you know I've seen us where we come out the blocks looking looking sluggish and we're not actually on the front foot. And then sometimes it needs the manager to have a go at half time and, or we build up to the last 10 minutes. But it's the first time for a while I think I've seen us just come flying out the blocks, Let's let's take it to them. Um, and we were fantastic, but, um, and again, you know, there's this there's this double-edged sword at the minute that it's fantastic that we're getting these late goals and getting through and getting maximum points, but the fact that we need them is is just a, a concern that, again, you, you touched on it there, Gav, we're not managing the game out. Um, and one thing, you know, we do have to remember is that there's two teams involved in the game, Shrewsbury, you have to give a little bit of credit to because when they went 2-0 down, um, although we took the foot off the pedal a little bit, they took advantage of that and they pressed us. Some teams would just give up and they'd start chasing the ball or they wouldn't even press us when we had possession in our own half. But they they kind of pushed on top of us and I think we panicked a little bit. We expected them just to kind of roll over and have their kind of bellies tickled. And uh, they, they kind of just, they, they stepped up 20 yards and their strikers pushed on our defenders who had the ball. And we couldn't cope with it and um they, they got two two decent goals and actually they could have they could have nicked it if they'd uh, if they kind of I think they'd tie it out towards the end. Um but yeah, it, it's that it's that game management and it's it's brilliant that we keep getting maximum points by by hook or by crook, it but it's still a slight concern for me that that we need to to, to pull it out of the bag.
1: Mm-hmm. And Alex Neal talked about that after the game, Phil, when he said that he, well he, he said he wasn't happy really ultimately didn't he he said i couldn't celebrate the winner cuz i was so basically so pissed off
0: with everything
1: <laughs> yeah. that had happened before it i couldn't bring myself to celebrate the winner um and and I, that actually i think that resonated with people didn't it a lot of people quite liked that he responded that way he didn't come up and come up in front of the cameras and try and butter it up he he actually spoke the truth he said i well, know it wasn't good enough you know yeah it's great yeah. was scored yeah' it's got great we've got the three points but we have to we have to want and expect better from these players and that you would think sends a, a it doesn't just send a message to the players because let's be fair he's probably been a lot more frank in the dressing room in in front of the players than he probably was in front of the cameras and he was quite frank in front of the cameras it's the message it sends everybody else isn't it when he comes out yeah. and talks like he does you know it's 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 a message to the fans about his his way of doing things and what we can expect and what is good enough. And I know we're going to talk about the game on Monday uh, in a bit, but he has got a very different way of thinking about things than perhaps the last manager did. And I know that we on this pod, a lot of us were, I wouldn't say big fans of Lee Johnson, but we were very supportive of him. A lot of us liked what we were seeing in in the most part, but I think it's very different to what his style in front of the cameras was, isn't it?
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, his in his interview after the game on um, on Friday reminded me of two interviews from previous Sunderland managers. The first of which was Roy Keane, after we, went, we won at Hillsborough 4-2 against Sheffield Wednesday in the 2006-07 promotion season. Yeah, I remember um, that. And we were comfortable. Yeah. comfortable yeah. And um, we, we considered a couple of goals, and then he was asked after the game, do any of your players have injuries? And he said, no, not yet. And he was livid <laughs> at what had happened. Um, and the other interview it reminded me of was a game against an opponent whose name escapes me, but it was under the it was Mick McCarthy, in the two thousand and four five season when we got promoted from the championship, and I remember after the game McCarthy said that instead of teams looking at us and thinking this should have been four or five 0 we ended the game four two, and he was very upset that we conceded two sloppy goals, and I think there's a little bit of that in the, in um, in Alex Neal. To be honest with you, he is an abrasive character, or he certainly comes across that way in his interviews and in press conferences, etc. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, Gav. You know, I think that Lee Johnson was a bit more breezy, a bit more laid back. You know, he had a penchant for funky catchphrases, et etc. et cetera. Not to everyone's taste. Alex Neil's more of a kind of a tell-it-like-it-is type manager. And I think you're right. I think what we heard on after the game on Friday was probably the heavily censored version of what he told the players in the dressing room after the game. I think there would have been a lot of swearing. And quite a lot of home truths would have been dished out. And he's obviously come out and been a bit more diplomatic about it. But again, I think it's all about setting a standard and, and, and setting a level of expectation. And, you know, reminding the players that you cannot allow yourself to have these periods in games where you switch off, where you start dropping off, where you start thinking we've got the points in the bag. Because in this league, as we found out about our cost over the years, there's always a chance that the opposition are going to come back, to you and, come back and bite you. And that's what happened on Friday. So yeah, I think Neil would have been relieved, as you said, and he, he obviously was relieved. But he clearly feels that we shouldn't have let them back into the game. So in his mind, it was probably well, all we've done here is pull out a result that we should have had wrapped up way before we did. So yeah, I, I thought I think his approach and the way he communicates is is very very impressive. I have to be honest. Yeah, I
2: thought was um, going back to to talking um, when I talked to Simon O'Rourke. I can't remember how long ago that was now. It must have been about three weeks ago or so, something like that. It was interesting talking to him from the media point of view when I asked him if they have to change their approach a little bit. And he was saying, well, it's OK for me because I'm a kind of pro and I've been around the block a little bit. And he was around when Roy Keane was there. So he's seen that sort of abrasive kind of character in front of him. But I, I, I noticed that question uh, leading up to the, the Easter weekend where one of the journalists gave him a question. I think it was about Tom Flanagan. And he just gave a one-word yeah. answer. And I think some of the newer people <laughs> who were working in the media have to have to kind of think about. I think with Lee Johnson, like that question might have gotten twenty minutes and a bit of a soundbite, and they would have been, "Oh, great! I've got, yeah. I've got a story there. I've got a nice front-page headline or whatever." But with you know, with Alex Neil, he's got he hasn't got time for that. He's like, "I'm I'm here to you know this is something I have to do because I want to get back to sorting out training or sorting out the players or speaking to whoever." So he's just like, nope, right, next, what what's next? You know, let's just get through this. So the, the media have to get used to him. But, you know, if we're saying that and the media are doing that, then imagine the difference for the players that they've had this manager, Lee Johnson, who I'm sure behind the scenes, he wasn't quite as kind of nice and all this sort of stuff and kind of softy, softy approach to, to, to the players as he did with the media. But I'm fairly certain that it's a completely different approach to the players that Lee Johnson had, and the players are still going to be getting used to that because maybe there was one or two things they got away with or didn't, you know, training didn't have to be quite as on it or something like that. Whereas Alex Neal, um, I think he was talking about getting the fitness and sharpness back up as soon as he came in, which most managers do, to be fair. But um, but yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the players have seen that difference as as much as we have in in the media have as well.
1: I think I think players probably like that. I, I know I would. I think if you're a top-level Premier League, I think that those types of players probably don't respond the same to how a League One footballer would. But at the same yeah. time, in, in elite footballers, they already set them standards for themselves, which is why they play at that level. Yeah. At this level, you do need your manager to be able to set that standard. And um, I think the, the approach that they were per- perhaps used to under Johnson will have been effective for a period. But I think ultimately... Uh, Players are just normal that they are deep down, they're just normal people like we are. And they, yeah. they appreciate honesty. Yeah. And um and I I think we we've spoken about this a lot of times on here, but I just think Sunderland people as a whole, they appreciate honesty more than they do bullshit, basically. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I'm not I don't actually think that Lee Johnson was a bullshit artist. I'm not saying that by any stretch. I mean I like the guy. And I like yeah. I like the way he talked about football. I didn't at first, but I grew to like it. I don't know. I just think eventually it wears off, doesn't it, when the results aren't going right? And it's yeah. when you're doing okay and you're picking up points and you're getting that honesty on top, it bodes well. And it's interesting, though, isn't it? Like, if, if results weren't going so well and he was speaking honestly, how would they go down as well? You, you get that side of it as well, don't you? And I suppose we might find that out one day.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think Nathan has realised, you know, even though he's only been here for a short period of time, I think he's obviously realised that, among the fan base, there is something of a fatigue that is set in with this league and that people just want out of it, really. Yeah. And I think he's, you know, I think, you know, to that extent, I think he's coming in and he's realised that, look, you know, I can't pull the wool over the, the, the eyes of these fans because they've, you know, they've been in this league for a long time. It's been a grind for them. I'm going to try and kind of cut through, you know, all of what's happened before and I'm just going to open things up and I'm just going to give them some honesty. And mm-hmm. I think that's admirable. And as, you know, we, we've touched on this before and you've said this many, many times, Gav is that the managers who tend to succeed at this football club are the managers who are kind of very cut to the bone, very straightforward, was like Peter Reid, Roy Keane, Mick McCarthy, et cetera, et cetera. And the managers who, you know, like Lee Johnson, who I, I think did a solid job, I and mean, I'll never change my stance on that, but, you know, it, it's fine to have a kind of a, you know, more of a kind of a pseudo-philosophical approach to football as Lee Johnson did, but when results go sour, and we had a hell of a, you know, we've had some rad results this season, certainly under him, People don't quite buy into that as much. Do this, so no. I think that Neil's I think Neil's kind of gone a bit more down the pragmatic route with his communication. But I think you know, on balance, I think it's probably the right way to be at this moment in time. I
2: just want to I just want to make sure you get Dennis Smith on that list because uh, he was exactly the same. Yeah, Dennis Smith <laughs> as well. Um, but um, but yeah. I mean, again, just Gav, I think I think you you touched on it again. But going back to that Simon O'Rourke thing, he said exactly the same. He said Alex Neil can be as honest as he likes, but it, it's it's all down to results. You know, if if yeah. if it's not if he's talking honestly after the game, but results aren't going badly, he's going to get no credit in the bank because he's not getting the results. It doesn't matter what he says after the game. If the results aren't going well in League One for Sunderland. Then it make it makes no odds. Kind of how how the manager talks.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that led us on to uh to the game on Monday, which I think when I spoke to Simeon on the preview pod, he said if it, if he was a Sunderland fan he would be happy with four points, and that's what we've ended up with across the two games. Um, a nil-nil away at Plymouth doesn't, on paper, look a bad result, to be honest. I was probably a lot less um, on the fence about it than I, at, at full time. At full time, I was just pissed off from being frustrated, like watching the game and things not coming off for us and, and being frustrated. But having taken a step back a little bit, when you look at their sort of form at home, I think they brought up a few times on Sky. They've, before our game, won the last six at home without conceding a goal. So we are the first team in that in that run to go and take anything off them.
2: I think you'll find it was in the preview on Roger Report way before
1: Sky Sports <laughs> started. Of course, yeah, everyone has to read that before a game. If you don't, you're an idiot. But yeah, statistically, I, pull, I pulled up the stats and I didn't actually realise that we shaded it. We had more shots on target, better possession, we played more passes better pass accuracy. It just didn't seem to feel like it to me at the time. But I listened to Alex Neil back after the game and to be honest, he was I think he was probably deep down happy with the point. Um what I what I did note was and it's something that he perhaps doesn't get credit for or hasn't really stuck with people, is that he's he's actually maintained the stance that I go to win every game. You know, whether we play well or not, whether we get beat, whether whether things don't come off like you did in this game. I ultimately go into the game trying to achieve three points. And to his credit, he made a bunch of substitutes during the game, which were, I would say, fairly uh, positive subs, bringing on Dan Neal, bringing on Patrick Roberts, um, Gooch, well, that's by the bye, but I suppose he is an attacking player. Um, but ultimately, yeah, we came away with a point from home park when I think people were just disappointed that we didn't give a little bit more. Uh, What was your take, Phil, on on how it went down? Because, like I say, I think ultimately people are a little bit frustrated regardless of the fact it's probably a good point.
0: I mean, this morning when we were building up towards the game, I was thinking kind of must win but definitely must not lose. Um, After the game and having watched the game and seeing how it unfolded, I actually think it was a pretty solid point. Um, And I don't think it's a point to be sniffed at, to be perfectly honest with you, Gav. As you said, it's a difficult place to go. They're a good team. They're well drilled. They're well organised. Um, and I just I just felt that over the course of the 90 minutes I just felt that we were we were just a click or two short of where we could have been. I think there was a bit of lethargy in the performance. We didn't quite look as sharp as we might have been um, and it, it just didn't quite click for us. Um, and I just I think we were kind of caught in between you know rocking a harp this, you know as to what kind of way, what style we wanted to use style of play we wanted to use really. So yeah I, I don't think it was a um, a brilliant result, but I think it was a solid one. And that point could be more than useful for us, particularly when you look at the fact that a lot of the teams in the top six area have still got to play each other. There's going to be points getting dropped here, there, and everywhere. So that could be a very, very valuable point that we've picked up today, without a doubt. What about you, Chris?
2: No, I, th- I thought it was it was a kind of agree with Phil. That it was a it was a good point. It was a good solid point. You have to kind of go back to this. There's this two sides involved. Sometimes we get wrapped up in this. You know, it's Sunland against Plymouth, and we just kind of go down tunnel vision, thinking, well. Sunderland should beat Plymouth just by, you know, because we should, because we're we're Sunderland and we're playing Plymouth, but it doesn't work like that. And uh, Plymouth were, you know, almost recently kind of invincible at home, you know, not conceding a goal in, well, in seven games now at home. And and it was kind of two well-organised sides uh, playing each other who just kind of cancelled each other out. Both sides weren't great going forward, which was strange because... I know they've, they've scored a few goals recently. But yeah, it was it was a it was a good point. Towards the end, the last kind of period of the game, the last half an hour of the game, um, for some reason, we looked absolutely knackered. But I think during the game, it was that type of game where it was a bit attritional and both sides in, in the last 20 minutes. Didn't seem to want to go for it. The, the three points were there for the mm. taking for both sides. Neither side wanted to push for it. Um, and I think both sides look really leggy and tired. I don't know whether that's kind of the result of the Easter weekend or whether, you know, it's just kind of coming to the end of the season and players are shattered or it was that type of game because um they, they put some work in. I mean, Matete and Kamara in the middle, I mean, they had that battle ongoing, which which was great. I was surprised Matete got brought off, um, but I think that he, he, he thought Dan Neal could kind of unlock a door that none of the other players could. But yeah, it was it was just one of those games, and both sides seemed one pass or one first touch away from being in on goal at times, especially in that first yeah. half. And it was just, I think at times that you just had to look at it and go, actually, it, it, it's two League One teams playing each other, and there's just that lack of class sometimes where those, <coughs> you know, if that was in the Championship, a first touch would have put them through and they would have scored, and that that's one nil, that's two nil, whatever. But but we didn't have that, and it was um it was just a tight goalless draw between two well-organised sides in the end.
1: Yeah, I would I would agree. Yeah, I, I don't think that um, you're wrong when you say that we look tired. We do. And I think Alex Neil again picked up on that after the game. He said we looked we looked a little bit lethargic at times. I think he specifically spoke about Ross Stewart, who I've spoke about for weeks on this pod. It's a bit of a white elephant in the room at the minute, but we've said it repeatedly on here. He's, he's not getting the goals that yeah. he's putting the team to get. And I mean, it's not all his fault. I think the creativity has been poor, really, over this sort of spell of three or four games where, you know, you you're looking and you think, come on, Ross, let's get that goal. It's just not happening for him. Um, I think in this game in particular, I just don't think he was in it. He looked really leggy, and he wasn't the yeah. only one. Let's be fair; there were other players who looked leggy, and and it was for both sides. I think I was sat watching it with my mate, and um, we were talking about it, and I said, like, you know, if, if you're a Plymouth fan watching this, you're probably just as frustrated as we are because they were wasting the ball just as much as we were. We were we were giving it away up the pitch and they were breaking forward and their passing was just as slack. So it wasn't just us, you know, and I think you're right, Chris. I think it's um, probably a little bit to do with the fact that there was two games in God knows how many days. For us specifically, and I, I don't want to make too many excuses for the players, but it's a long way to go. You know, they've probably travelled down yesterday. Um, they're down there and and they're, they're preparing for the game. They're obviously there the day before, which I don't think they often do. But even still, it's a long trip. It the recovery time's been cut because obviously they would have had to have been in probably Saturday, Sunday recovering, very little time to prepare for the game. Big turnaround, a small turnaround even. So, I you know I'm making excuses here, but I actually think that in the grand scheme of things, we'll probably look at this and think not a bad point to be honest. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I think that on Ross Stewart, as you mentioned there, Gabby did look a bit leggy. And he he didn't look, you know, on on, on his on his game, which he hasn't been for quite some time. And it was interesting, um, not long before we started recording this, I was just watching some of the highlights back from the Wickham game, which we obviously drew 3-3. And Ross Stewart's second goal in that game, you know, the build-up to it with Embleton getting the ball out wide, whipping a really good crossing, Stewart makes that dart and run into the box and he just touches it beyond the Wickham goalkeeper. That's Ross Stewart on his app, on his A game. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that you can, I think, yeah, I think part of it is fatigue. Um, I'm not buying this argument by the way that he's had his head turned. You know, there was, a few people saying that on Twitter and all these rumours about, is he going to go to Rangers? You know, are Norwich in from... I think Ross Stewart's a consummate pro and I think his focus is getting us promoted this season. So I just think he looks a little bit tired. I don't think he's getting the service at this moment in time. Um, and I'm hoping that when Alex Pritchard comes back into the team, who is the one player, expanding on Chris's point, who could make that difference, who has that little bit of quality that can illuminate a game at this level, that could be the key to getting Stewart firing again because I think Pritchard's got a good understanding of him, or, or with him, I should say, um, and I think that once they can get that rapport back again, I think that Stewart could be hitting the goal trail again. But it's it's the classic one, isn't it, where he just needs a goal from somewhere off his backside, deflected, you know, a, a lucky strike that goes in that bobbles off the keeper or whatever. Um, so he's putting the effort in without any doubt, but he does look a little bit tired. But you've just got to dig deep. You know, this is what we always talk about this stage of the season. You've got to dig deep. You've got to find that extra percent, you know, that can get you through. So I'm hopeful that he will hit the goal trail again. But it is a concern. You know, there's no doubt about that, Gov.
2: Yeah, you you raised a good point there, Phil. And um, just there was one incident in the match talking about that uh, Embleton-Stewart combination. And um, it it happened during the game. It actually happened when Embleton got the ball and kind of cut inside on his left foot. And he played that lovely ball over the top into Stewart's path. And if you go back to, you know, November, December... Ross Stewart brings that down and slots it away.
0: He buries it. He buries yeah. it, yeah. No and and I don't know
2: it. whether it's sharpness, confidence, whether it's, you know, he's tired, whatever it is, or pressure because it's the business end of the season and it's, you know, chances... I suppose there's less pressure on chances in the middle of the season as there is at, at this end of the season. But I don't know what it is, but there's definitely a difference because, you know, a few months back, he he, he nails that and we won a lot. Yeah.
1: The creativity thing is is bang on as well, what you were talking about there. I think... We would be remiss without mentioning this, but I don't think it's been good enough for a couple of games, really. But he went with the wing-back system, which had Jack Clark out on the right-hand side and Luke O9 on the left. Luke O'Neill, yeah. who's not got pace, is predominantly right-footed. Um, you're not really going to expect him to create a great deal. He will try his best, but obviously you know, it's not in him to really do it. And then on the other side, Jack Clark, who for me, probably had his worst game for Sunderland. And I don't like to dig him out too much because he is a young player but I think there was a, a point in that game not long after half time where we had to recognize he has to come off. It's not working, you know, and I, I don't know. I was trying to get my head around it because I think obviously Alex Neil's not an idiot. Like I say, he's very honest. He he is, he is able to see these things that we can see You can see he's struggling. You can see that it's not coming off for him. But really, when you look at it, other than Clark, there is no real pace in the side. And that's probably why he stays on the pitch because even like he, you know, he he was te- to be honest. I thought he was terrible on Friday, but he still put the ball in the box to to win us the game, didn't he? Um, yeah. And and that's probably come into his thinking. You know, he, he might play in crap for ninety minutes, put one decent ball in, and and get us that opportunity that we need. So it's I actually think that one thing we haven't really talked about, probably because the results have been decent, is that Alex Neal's. Got his hand tired in a couple of positions, really. One of them being those wide areas where we just don't have a lot of pace. We've got a lot of options. You know, Roberts is there. Gooch is there. We'll have Pritchard hopefully back for the next game. But other than that, is there anyone else really that we can put out there? No. Which is why Luke O'Neill having to go left wing back. And that right. won't have just been a sort of a, an offensive addition to the team. They've probably identified something in Plymouth side and thought we probably need a little bit of cover for Cirque and on the left-hand side, Luke's probably the best man to give it. But yeah. it's it's tough, isn't it? It's tough, really, and that's a big part of why Ross Stewart isn't hitting the back of the net, Phil, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's difficult for, for for us to really work that out. He's not really got a lot of time to try and find a, another solution, so I think we're just going to have to hope that he he manages to hit the back of the net.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a you know it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a you know a, a, a hasty repair job really. I mean, you know, as you've said there, Gav, you know the the one player who, you know, I think could make a difference. The last we saw of him, he was lying in a German hospital with tonsillitis, Leon Diaku, <laughs> And, you yeah. know, a a player who often this season has looked really really sharp, really really effective, but then he can have games where he struggles, where he's off the boil, where he doesn't look particularly comfortable. Um and again, another player who just who, who seems to have been—I mean, it's not his fault that he got—he was suffering from illness, but he kind of seems to have slid out of sight under Alex Neil, which again has 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 limited his, Neil's options in terms of creativity and and dynamic forward play. Hmm. Um, I don't think the formation today worked at all, to be honest with you. I, it just—it didn't look right. It looked disjointed. It looked, and there was no real cohesion between any of the players, you know. And this is what I was talking about, where the where the, the game plan looked a bit jumbled, really. I didn't really see any any grand plan today. It just seemed to be kind of either, you know, hopefully work the ball through midfield, see if he can find that threaded pass, or just hoof it long to Stewart and hope you can do something with it. So, again, just it just wasn't our day, Gav. You know, I'm not sitting here and going to destroy anybody because this was just not our day. As Chris said, you know, it was it was a game. Two solid teams, two well-organised teams. It was a game of chess, stalemate at the end of it. I don't think there needs to be any great drama about it. Just got to take the point and move on.
1: Yeah, we've um, go on, Chris.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, just, just about Clark. I mean, I think it was clear for all to see that um, it wasn't wasn't happening for him today. A couple of times he just lost concentration and completely miscontrolled the ball and kind of gave it away. But it, but you're right for, for Alex Neil, it's kind of it's stick or twist, isn't it? He hasn't got he hasn't got many creative players in this in in this formation, so he's kind of thinking, well, exactly what you said, Gav. He's do I bring him off? because it's nil-nil and I want to keep it solid and I don't concede, or do I keep them on and keep my fingers crossed that he's going to pull out that one cross, that one pass, that's going to that's gonna create that goal. But but yeah, I mean, touching on the formation, you mentioned that, Phil. I agree with you that I don't get the style of play because we don't keep possession. We're not, we're kind of, there was a lot of aimless ball forward, but I put that down to tightness a little bit. There was no counter-attack football. There was no kind of keep possession. So I couldn't work out, what we were trying to do going forward. But yeah, but in terms yeah. of the formation, I mean, I, you could argue both ways because I think the formation worked in how Alex Neil wants that found solid foundation at the back because he had that back three and then in front of them, if you noticed, he had Matetti and Evans almost sitting side by side in front of the three. And then he had Embleton a bit pushed further forward behind Broadhead and Stewart. But the problem was when you're playing a decent side, especially away from home, Clark and 0-9 were being pushed back. So you almost had a back 5 with two in yeah. with two in front of them. And then when you try to push forward, Embleton was getting the ball and all he had was the movement of Broadhead and Stewart. And it did it, Broadhead and Stewart looked absolutely knackered. It just almost kind of yeah. half an hour into the game you thought there's yeah. no move. Yeah. The amount of times we had the ball and you just thought there's no movement. So Embleton had to end up going back either to one of the the three centre halves or or White or Nine or Clark or or whatever, he had to go backwards or sideways because, whenever we tried to go forward, it was either hit too long and Broadhead and Stewart kind of gave it up, or the movement wasn't there and he just kind of turned around and had to go in the wrong direction. So, that the formation was, if Alex Neil was saying right, well, my first priority is to keep it solid. The formation worked. It was it was bang on. But the problem is, you you sacrifice so much that you you yeah. end up with a you know, a back five or two in front. So you've got seven. You basically, you've got a back seven if you're being pushed back. Yeah. But, and if you're not hitting teams on the break, if you haven't got that pace to hit teams on the break, then you've got nothing going forward. It's too slow going forward. Yeah. So it, it's that. Yeah. The other thing about the formation is I don't get Serkin as a left-sided center off. If, he, if he's put... He's not comfortable no, there if, to me. If he's put there to, to give us an attacking outlet to kind of overlap the wing-back or something like that, then that's not happening. And he's not a solid centre half. Like he got done wide once where you know he might as well not have been there. Um so he wasn't kind of solid at the back. He wasn't giving us an attacking outlet. So you might as well put a solid centre half in. We had two on the bench. We've got a yeah. Lee and Bath on the bench, so you might as well stick one of them as centre half and put Circun as wing back. Um so I, d- I don't, don't get Serkin as a as a left wing back. Um so, yeah, I mean, th- there's problems there. But I think if you're looking at Alex Neil's first number one priority, he'll probably tell you the formation worked.
1: Yeah, we kept a clean sheet. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, a- yeah, against a team who don't draw games at home or lose games at home. So in that sense, you're probably right. But that doesn't mean we can't look at it and say, was that the right thing? Did, did that necessarily work? I mean, for me, I've been saying it for, for a couple of weeks now, Carl Winchester just not quite doing it for me. I don't think he was terrible but again, it's the it's a similar thing to cirkin isn't it? In that he's not a he's not he's not a centre half really. Yeah. Um. But it's it it's difficult because you're right. At the same time, he'd probably turn around and say, "Well, I've picked them in the in the defence, and we're keeping clean sheets. We're not conceding many goals. So, mm. in that respect, it is working. But it just it does unbalance the team slightly. Um. It I does, think the, yeah. we we sit here and talk about it quite a lot when we say, I I, I certainly do. That Alex Neil takes at the game at a time, um. But I think and I, I think now he would never admit it publicly, but he isn't. He's now taking it a little bit, other well, probably going the other direction in the sense that you know after the um after the Shrewsbury game, he admitted that he didn't select Corey Evans because he wanted to keep him right for the Monday. Yeah. And obviously Evans started on on Monday and. Um, and played and played very well. And you could say, well, that, that worked, you know, he was fresh and he was probably our best player. But I think when you look further ahead, again, if you said to Alex Neal, you know, you've won that game on Friday, you can pr- he's probably really deep down come to Plymouth and thought, I'll take a point, like a point, yeah. not a bad result, because we then play Cambridge at home, which is a game which we are expected to win. So it's interesting that I think had... Um, had Friday not gone, what, got, gone as planned, where we'd won the game in the end, he might have approached this very differently. I don't think he yeah. would have went so defensive with his selection. So I, mean, I think psych- psychologically, I think he's probably thinking, right,
0: okay, so we've got the game on, on Good Friday at home. That's a really good chance to do something against Shrewsbury. Then he's probably thinking, right, okay, we've got that one out of the way. We've banked the three points. Plymouth away. Be pragmatic. Solid foundation, as Chris said. Take the point. Then the next game, home at Cambridge. They're... Could be a decent team, but it's a game we've got to win. Maybe we can be a bit more expansive. So I think you're absolutely right, Gab. I think he's managing his squad game to game now. Um And you know, just touching on on what Chris said there about about the the formation. I think that when you when you when we line up as we did today, if it isn't absolute if everyone isn't absolutely on the same page, certain players end up looking horrendously exposed. And I think Circum was a really good example of that today. You know, there was sometimes today where Circum you just think. You almost feel sorry for him in a way because he's not playing in a natural position. He's trying his best without any shadow of doubt. You know, he's given everything he's got, but it's almost as if he's playing on the edge all the time. And we've seen this before this season. If he's out of position or if he's not in a natural position to him, he can look really, really nervy and edgy. So, again, it is a risk that Neil has taken with this. But here, again, as you said, you know, clean sheep, I suppose that would justify it, really.
1: Yeah. Andy gave man the match to Bailey Wright on the website. Uh, hard to argue really. I like I say I probably think Corey yeah. Evans was man of the match. Uh, we stuck out a poll on social media. Evans is currently leading that poll, just ahead of Metetti, Actually, um, Chris, who who do you think was our top performers on the day? Would you Would you go along with those?
2: Yeah, I mean, but I mean, just just for a start though, it's uh, it's obvious the type of game it was that we're all talking about those defensive. Either the our yeah. our main centre half or the two defensive midfielders, aren't we? Because that, that's the type of game yeah. it was. Metete and Evans, I thought, were brilliant at breaking the play up. I thought they did exactly what Alex Neil was probably expecting of them. They, they sat in front of those three and just broke everything up. Metete was really getting under the skin of kind of the, the Plymouth team and the fans and the home fans.
0: Yeah, he
2: was. Um we we've been waiting for a player like that for a few years now, just to kind of get a bit of needle in there. Um, but uh, but yeah, I thought uh, I thought those two were brilliant. I, any of those three, actually, I thought I thought those three worked their worked their socks off. Um, on, on Winchester, I, I'm I'm more comfortable with Winchester being um on that kind of right side than I am Circling on the left left hand side. Um, Sirkin, uh Winchester, you know, does stick some good tackles in, and he is a tough tackler. He he really kind of um kind of harries and puts pressure on players uh, who are on the ball. But but yeah, I mean, there's no way you could consider any other attacking players and uh, like I said Sirkin and Winchester have their moments the other one you might as well you can give some credit to is Patterson in goal because I think everything he did was all kind of neat and tidy he mm-hmm. didn't he didn't kind of slip it nothing kind of spilled out he, he did well on some crosses Um, and just I mean just from an attacking point of view just because we talked about it last time and I, I was going to kind of raise it with Phil because we talked about Elliot Embleton kind of what part he's got to play. And I know you yeah, I know you. We did. You said, Gav, why not have him as a sub to have that sort of impact? And it was funny today that he had a couple of brief moments like that one over the top to Stewart, like we mentioned earlier. But today it might have been one of those occasions where actually if Embleton came on with 10 minutes to go with his left foot and they were tired, he could have actually put a ball right on Ross Stewart's head mm-hmm. or in front of Broadhead or something like that. And even though he, you know, he struggled, you know, starting, you know, it might've actually impacted us that we didn't have him to come on from the bench.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's funny because um, with Pritchard not being there, it leaves that position open, as we've said. And I think the natural, the natural one to pick would be Hamilton, particularly given his goal on Friday, you know, you can't really argue with him picking him, but in, in hindsight, I'm sitting thinking, Daniel probably could have started this game in front of Evans and Matetti as that player. Um, but I'm not gonna nitpick because mm. I, I think that you know you couldn't possibly drop Embleton after the goal he scored on Friday and the impact he's had recently. So it is difficult, isn't it to you know, we can sit here in hindsight and pick it apart. Ultimately, oh, yeah. that's the team he picked. I mean i I asked on Twitter for people to give our give their three word reviews of the game. um majority of them are pretty negative. I would say a lot of people are disappointed with how we played. Although, yeah, quite a lot of people. Kieran Gibson, yeah, he's saying that'll do, donkey. Uh, Warren Ridley saying good, point gained. Others saying not good enough, no cutting edge. Poor final ball. Decent point away, says Glenn. Stephen Stubbs attacking quality needed. Jack Clark off, says Tony Pottinger. Yeah, we talked about Clark. <laughs> Michael Bowers says content with that. Tom Krangle says kind of happy. Uh, Connor Gardner says needed Alex Pritchard. I think we would probably all agree we need him back sooner rather than later. Uh, yeah. Chris Dunn, good, looked tired. Uh, Rob Mews, past the feet. that's something we haven't really touched on, those long balls out from the back. We're frustrating for large parts of the game. But yeah, I mean, ultimately everyone's on the same page as us, aren't they? Everyone can acknowledge it was a leggy, tired performance and probably not you know, not what we were all expecting. I think we were all getting hyped up, weren't we, hoping that this would be a, a milestone in our season, Phil, perhaps, that we, yeah. would, we would come away with three points and... Yeah, we didn't, but I don't think our season's going to hinge on this result, is it? No, I don't think it
0: is, and I think it, it's it's interesting because obviously when you win a game in the style we won uh, on Friday against Shrewsbury, obviously you've got that elation and everybody's on a high, and sometimes you can channel that into your next game, or it, you're completely drained as a result of that, and you know you've got nothing left to give for the game that follows that, and I think that was the case today. It just felt it just felt as though the gap between the games wasn't really big enough for us to recharge our batteries fully. Um, and therefore, we went into the game today just a little bit leggy and a little bit tired. And, you know, that can happen. You know, when, when you've got these rapid-fire fixtures coming thick and fast, you know, you've got to be... You, you know, your recovery time is limited. You've got to try and get yourself re-energised for it. But it's interesting, actually, because I do think we have looked a lot fitter under Alex Neal Since he's come to the club, I do think we found an extra 10% in fitness, hence why we're able to go right to the end and snatch all these late winners. So, yeah, I I, I just felt it was a bit of a... Maybe a bit of a come down, um, but by no means a disastrous result. I do not think that was a, a, a bad result you know, under any circumstances because it's kept things in our own hands. And If we beat Cambridge on Saturday now, that's a really big stride towards securing a playoff place. So, yeah, I think it was a perfectly satisfactory point, Gov.
1: Yeah, on, and on Saturday, we've got uh, Wickham playing Sheffwed, than playing Oxford. We've got um, Wigan playing Plymouth. So everybody's got to play each other still. Uh, it's... It, Like Phil said, Chris, it's probably still in our hands at this point. Well, it is.
2: It it is. And and just to talk about that, touch on the psychology of the point that you were talking about there, Phil. It was the performance, wasn't it, that I think everyone, again, is is jumping on the back of. But I think if you'd asked a lot of people, I'm sure half the people asked would have said, yeah, a a point away, actually, it'll do us looking at the fixtures and looking at the kind of the fixtures. Gav's just mentioned that other teams are playing each other. But it was a it was the way the game went. Let's say like we would we actually get battered and come away with a point. Everyone would have been saying, "Oh, that's a fantastic point away from home at, at Plymouth." You know, we got through that and and all that sort of stuff. But but it didn't pan out like that. But I mean, talking about the, the current position, Gav, I think it's exactly the same as when we spoke last. Looking at the fixtures, looking at who we've got, the games at home, it's in our hands. And if we don't make the playoffs, <laughs> I think. Uh, you know, we would quite rightly be pissed off, I think, if we don't make the playoffs from this position with the games we've got left and the game in hand we've got over Wickham and Plymouth. We're at home for, for two of those. We've got Cambridge. I just think we should make it from this position.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, to be honest, Morecambe is the is the last game of the season. Cambridge coming up at home as well. Rotherham, who you don't know who you're going to get with Rotherham at the minute. Um, but Morecambe still aren't safe, which... I think at both ends of the table, there's going to be implications in that game. Ultimately, I do think this is going to come down to the wire. We're not going to know yeah. probably what the crack is come the end of the end of the last game. We'll be waiting that on that last game to probably decide what our fate. I think, and that that's not just us. I think probably a lot of teams.
2: But with the, with the fixtures with um, Wickham playing Sheffield Wednesday, I just think you know you look at the teams that. Can't get maximum points, and we,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: we should make it. We should get enough to get in that top six.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, to be honest, I watched part of the Wickham game because our game ended a little bit earlier, and um, the commentators were EFC Wimbledon fans, I think, <laughs> and uh, they just weren't impressed at all with with Wickham. There's just something about Wickham where I feel like they've got it, they've got it in them to slip up. Whereas, yeah. you know, I think Plymouth and and Chef are probably a little bit more ruthless. Ultimately, though. We can't dwell on it. We've just got to we just got to do our own job. I mean, you look at the fixtures we've got remaining and Cambridge and Morham regardless of the fact Morecambe can still stay up and are scrapping for their lives, those are favourable fixtures in my view. And yeah. like you've just said, Chris would would be rightly pissed off if we aren't we aren't in the playoffs come the end of it all because you know, I think anyone would take those fixtures, wouldn't they? Yeah. Two home games out of three, two yeah. of them being Cambridge and Rotherham, the other being Markham. I think we'd all, I think anyone would take that.
2: I think the other sides had quite happily swap with us and be in the position we're in at the moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and and it's tight, it's tight. I mean, I won't go over the table because obviously there's other games to be played midweek, um, but we know where we are. And yeah, okay, yeah, them them extra two points would have been great. We would have been sat fourth in the table, went above Plymouth, but. I wouldn't take Plymouth's last two games. No yeah. thank you. So, exactly. you know, it's it's it is what it is, and it Everyone's got to play each other twice in this league. And it just so happens that ours have felt a little bit more favourably than everyone else's, and we've got no excuses now, Phil, have we?
0: No, I mean we could have had a horror running, you know, we could have had an absolute nightmare running, and you're thinking to yourself, Christ, know that, that those two points we, we we didn't pick up at Plymouth, you know, they might come back to haunt us. But as you just said, Gav. A decent looking running for us. You know, we've still got to do the business without without a doubt. You know, we we can't take anything for granted. But, you know, I I I still expect us to make it. I still think we will we will qualify for the playoffs. I think it'll be nervy. And I think as you said, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're sitting here, you know, as the minutes are ticking down against Morecambe, you know, and the soccer Saturday crew are going absolutely mad trying to keep 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 tabs and everything. You know, we none of us will know exactly how things are going to end up. So it is going to be tight, it is going to be nervy. But again, under Alex Neon, we do look more resilient. And I would back us to hold our nerve over these last three games. Get the points needed, and then we qualify, and then we think about how we're going to tackle the playoffs. So it's not all over yet. Well, that's
1: a good place to end it, I think. Uh, Thanks, lads. Cheers, Chris. Thanks for joining us, mate. Cheers, Gav. Cheers, Chris. Uh, Cheers, Phil. And thanks to the listeners once again for joining us. We've got a preview game preview game preview podcast coming up uh, before the next game so make sure you check that out and also check out everything over on rotereport.com I'm tired which is why I can't get my words together I'm sure these lads are too Uh, we've had a long old day watching Sunderland and we will be back as soon as we are needed so thank you very much everyone cheers for joining us and we'll catch you down the road